turn in your copy of God's Word tonight to Philippians. Philippians, um, somewhat tied with this morning's message. God being enclosed in human flesh. And as you turn there, I'm not going to read the song tonight for sake of time, but I do want to make you aware of it because it's a Christmas hymn that didn't make it in the Christmas section, and I was unaware of this, and I discovered it today. But in your red hymn book, uh, there is a song on page 217, and it is titled, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. And it is written off the passage of Philippians 2, 5 through 7, the book says. But actually, that's not the verse that it was written from. The verse was, uh, the hymn was actually written from Luke 2 and verse 7. And it was written by Emily Elliott, and she was uh, wanting to use the Christmas season to teach about the entire life and mission of the Savior. And she studied Luke 2.7, she wrote this hymn. And so I'll give you this, and you can read it later, but the first and second stanzas speak of the Lord's birth. The third stanza speaks of his life as an itinerant preacher. And the fourth stanza talks about his death on Calvary. And then the last stanza proclaims his second coming. So you get a full picture of the gospel from this hymn uh, by Miss Elliot. And so I just wanted to make you aware of that. I don't know if I've ever sang this song. Maybe we have. But it's in ministry section. But it is actually originally a Christmas song. All right. Now we'll turn our attention tonight to... Just this one verse uh, in Philippians 2, verse 5. Uh, now, this is what the theologians call kenosis, the emptying of Christ. Um, and we have this beautiful passage here, which is a lot of sermons. But I want to turn our attention tonight just to verse 5, where it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I would pray tonight, Lord, help us to have a mindset like unto Christ. Lord, we are infiltrated and influenced and affected by the world in which we live. Help us to return to what truth is. Help us to evaluate relationships within the body of Christ in a mindset of the way in which Christ would have us to think about each other. And Lord, all of these things bring out the blessed word, humility. Help us in a pride-filled America to learn what it means to be of a humble mind and to value others more than we value ourselves. We pray this tonight by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. This emptying of Christ is the heart and soul of biblical Christianity. We're going to talk about the mind and the heart and the way in which we relate to brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you some texts. These are short, but they all have the same uh, bent to them. And they're all obviously God's word, and so they have authority with them. King Solomon in Proverbs 3.34 said, but to the humble, God gives favor. Peter, he says in 1 Peter 5, 5, 
clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? What's the reason? Well, God stands in opposition to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then in James 4, 6, James says, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So these same truths in other texts is the truth that is being presented here in verse 5. Now, in verse 5, I do want to uh, make a note here. Most translations start the same way, have this mind in you. I have this mind among yourselves. The Greek text starts with the word this. And so if you tried to translate that somewhat literally, it would say something like, this mind in you, this mind in you. So then the question becomes, what mind? This mind. Okay, great. But what mind are we talking about? It does not and cannot refer to what follows, so it must, the this must refer to what precedes. So what has been said before we get to verse 5? Because that answers the question of the this. And so, if you would, just look back up in your text, Philippians 1, 27, and see if we can find anything that has to do with this mind he's talking about. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in, in what? One spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You notice one spirit, one mind, and a unity of ministry side by side for the faith of the gospel. 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that's from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We're in this together. Verse 1 of chapter 2. So, if there's going to be any encouragement in Christ, if there's going to be any comfort from love, if there's going to be any participation in the Spirit, if there's going to be any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and be of one mind. Don't do anything, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, 
but also to the interest of others. That's the this mind. This mindset of biblical Christianity is what we are to have as an exhibition of humility as we serve one another. Now, I'll give you an example from the book of Philippians of the importance of this. If you just turn the, probably just turn one page, but you will see this in chapter 4, these two silly women who have allowed their petty differences to cause division within the church. Happens with women today as well as it happened to women back then. I suppose it happens to men also. But let us learn the truth here. Paul beseeches, entreats, pleads or begs, if you will. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche. Now, just pause. Grammatically, he could have said, I entreat Eudia and Syntyche. It's perfectly fine. But he repeats the verb twice because it's important. I'm entreating you and I'm entreating you. It's an entreaty or a beseeching of both individuals with equal force. And what is he entreating them to do? Agree in the Lord. That's what he's asking them to do or pleading with them to do. And he's doing this that they would agree. Notice, not that they'd agree about the weather. Not that they would agree about their personal preferences. Our agreement, just like in chapter 2 of this one mind, one mind is only possible in the Lord. In the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Count what is important to Christ as more important than whatever it is that you've taken a personal issue with. I'll just eat this and I'll just let it go because Christ the gospel and the church are more important than my personal preference. That's the heart of this. Now, as we move, so it becomes a bridge here in verse 5 as we turn from this one mind and we're bridging over to look at Christ. Have the same mind that is in Christ. So now we're going to move from the example of the brothers and sisters in the body and he's going to say, Christ is the one we look to for an example. Now, I have a lot of different translations, but let me give you a couple of translations on verse 5 that may help us to see the heart of this a little better. Here's one. Let your bearing towards one another arise out of your life in Christ. The way we bear with one another should come naturally out of our Christian nature. That's what that translation is shooting for. Here's another commentator. Uh, Think this way among yourselves, which also you think in Christ Jesus. Now, what is happening here is the bridge is showing that what is possessed internally, what we have internally must be exhibited externally. What's actually in here is to be displayed in real life between brothers and sisters in the church. Now, I hope it don't sound silly, this example that I have, but I don't know how else to do it. And I I think this, at least you would get the heart of what I'm trying to say. If you are a fish, then swim like a fish. 
If you're a bird, fly like a bird. If you're a cheetah, run like a cheetah. If you're a Christian, think like Christ. Be who you are by nature. That's the heart of what he's saying here. Be like this. Have this mind that it would naturally flow out of your internal position of what your nature is. Standing one in spirit, one mind, same mind, no selfish ambition, no conceit, all of this in humility. Thus, have this mind among yourselves. All right, that's the bridge. And now we're going to look at being, ontology, nature of who we are in Christ. And so let's work with this just a little bit. External examples versus internal realities. External examples, internal realities. Imitating others is a work of the will, of the mind, and of emotion. You can imitate other people. So, if you're a little boy and you like basketball, you want to play good basketball, you have a desire to play good basketball, you have the emotion for basketball. You watch Kobe Bryant and you think he's really good, because he is. And you try to imitate his moves. You can't do it because you're not Kobe but you try to imitate the way he holds the ball, the way he drives the lane, the way he shoots the jumper, the way he spins. You imitate that by your will, by your mind, by your emotion. You, want, you may even wear the jersey with his number, but all of that is by your external effort to imitate what he plays or how he plays. Imitating because of nature is something totally different. Imitating by nature is something that is done as a work of the Spirit that dwells within you. So, the fish swims because he's a fish. That's his nature. So it's not, the fish isn't imitating a swimmer. The fish is a swimmer because the fish is a fish. Let's push it a little further. External imitation. Let's talk about that a little further. Buddhists imitate the qualities of Buddha that they deem good. And they repeat the actions that Buddha does and Buddha teaches. Mormons imitate Joseph Smith. They read the Book of Mormon, they revere Joseph Smith, and they try to imitate and repeat the things he said to do and supposedly the things he did. Freemasonry is no different. They imitate the teachings of Albert Pike and others that have been passed down and written down, and they do the same imitation of those events in order to be a good Mason. Worldly people imitate good morals in hopes of being good or being seen good by others. You want to adapt to your environment where you work. You dress like they dress, you talk like they talk, you do what they do, you get interested in what they get interested in, you just repeat it. You're imitating them in order to fit the group or the mold that you desire. All I'm telling you is this is external and anybody can do it if you will to do it. The problem, my attempt here, is only to get you to see that the outward is different than the inward. 
imitating a fish will not cause you to be able to live underwater. Imitating a bird will not cause you to fly. It it just won't work. Imitating a billionaire will not make you rich. Imitating your family or imitating my family will not make you an Easter. You probably don't want to be one anyway. Imitating what Paul is saying will not make you a Christian. Should we come to church and we say, oh, this is how you're supposed to act, so I'll act this way around the church people, and that will make me a Christian. External imitation will not change your heart. So external imitation is not going to procure a place in heaven. Now, let's talk about interior realities. John the Baptist says something like this. This is his nature. He must increase. I must decrease. This is an internal reality of a person with a new heart and a right spirit. Because he has a heart change, it's a true statement. Everything is about the exaltation of Christ and is about the crucifixion of my flesh. Or the Apostle Paul, a verse you know well, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. By the way, it's the same word the Septuagint uses for Genesis and the creation of the world. It's a supernatural miracle. He's a new creation. The old is passed away and everything becomes new. This is an inward reality. The Spirit of the living God does an internal work and changes the nature. Regeneration, creation, adoption get closer to the heart of what is being said in verse 5 here. How so? How does regeneration, the new creation, how does this work with Philippians 2.5? Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Being made alive in Christ causes you to live a certain way. I don't try, in a sense, to live this way. I live this way because there's something internal within me driving me to live this way because my nature has been changed. I don't have the same heart. I don't have the same spirit. Thus, I don't have the same mind. I can't draw it out. It's something that God has done internally. Now, no, hang on. This is done for every converted person. An inward supernatural change, new heart and a new spirit, is something of a miracle that is being done. Being created with a new nature causes you to live a certain way. Being made a part of the family causes you to live a certain way. What happens when the internal is changed? The things that I did not value before have now become the priority of my life. Before conversion, I did not love this book, as, and I didn't revere it as more expensive than gold and sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Something changed. 
before, I probably thought some of these hymns were a little fruity, and they're not the beat of modern music, and they're kind of boring, and I don't even know how you people can sing them. But now all of a sudden, I value, even when the beat doesn't go with my style, I value it because of the truth that is offering up to my Lord Jesus. What happened? There's something internal that is affecting me to have these types of thoughts. The way a man thinks is a direct result of who he is. Not who he wants to be but who he is. Imitating Christ is the natural outflow of being born again. A couple of texts. John 10, a verse you know, 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's just natural that the sheep follows the shepherd. And the shepherd goes walking off over the hill, and the sheep will go following him, and the goats stand over here eating all the vegetation. You're like, why didn't they go? It's not natural to them. It's natural to the sheep to hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. Or in John 14, 19 through 21, because I live, you live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's a beautiful thing that happens internally. So if you think about the external imitation that a lot of people try to do, and then you compare this to the internal thing that only can be done by the work of the Spirit within a person. And we conclude with a warning However we see this passage, we must understand that there is more than a moral example to be followed. It's not just a moral example of Jesus doing the things he does in 5 through 11, and we're going to try to imitate it. We're not trying to imitate morals here. We're going to live this way because it's our nature to live this way. We're going to think this way because we're in Christ. Certainly Christ, we can say, is to be imitated, but that can only go so far and accomplish so little if it's done in the flesh. Paul is telling us that unity in the community is possible only to those who are born again. This is the only only people that are in unity. You talk about It's complicated, but you talk about church divisions and you talk about church splits. It's complicated because we're all in the same building. It's complicated because it's like, well, they're all supposed to be Christian because they're in the same building. Just because we're in the same building doesn't mean we're all regenerate. All of those who are regenerate will never be split. There will never be a division. In, In the sense that Christians will remain in unity for eternity. Why? Because they're in Christ, and by nature, they've been adopted into the family, and this family remains, and there will be no division. There's just one flock. There's just one. And they got one shepherd and one flock, and there's this perfect unity. And I know it's hard to see, but the church is beautiful. 
She's beautiful. She don't have a blemish. She don't have a spot. And she's dressed in a beautiful white dress because she's been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And she is gathered as this bride. And the groom loves her. And he's going to come for her. And he's going to gather her to himself. And this bride is going to be united to her groom. And they're going to enter into the palace for all of eternity. I'm having a hard time seeing that. By faith and the reading of Scripture, it's here. Will you be like Elisha and say, Lord, open their eyes. Man, there's more for us. There are against us. Open their eyes, Lord, to see the beauty and the value of the church. Goats and sheep cannot be unified. It can't happen. It just won't work. Christ is our standard. Conversion is the catalyst. Obedience is the means to a God-honoring unity amongst believers. Now, lastly, and the shortest point of all, is this beauty that is found in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. There's a guy by the name of Ernst Loymeyers, and he has an analysis of the text of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And I've inserted these headings in his analysis. And so let me read his analysis, and hopefully it will hit you a little different than the readings you've done of this text. So I want you just to see the beauty of what Paul then presents in the following words. But here's this analysis. Deity, the one existing in the form of God, did not consider it an advantage to exploit to be equal with God. Humanity, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, becoming in the likeness of human beings, soteriology, and in the appearance, being found as a human being, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross, vindication. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name. Sovereignty, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And the last, worship, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we think of Christmas, we think this morning about Emmanuel. Here again, we are given the picture of Christ who would descend and be clothed in human flesh, take upon the form of a servant, give his life on Calvary, and be resurrected on the third day. I know there's a billion things, and you can't turn the radio on without hearing all this nonsense about how people are busy and they don't have enough time. It's all hogwash. It's hogwash. Ain't got time, ain't got time. You don't have time to keep up with what the world tells you to do. I've got the same amount of time tomorrow as I have today. I'm not busy. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not wringing my hands trying to figure it out. We've bought zero presents and we're not going to buy any for anybody this whole year not buying nothing it's, it's look you can do it that's fine but 
The purpose and the reason of Christianity is that God has come to visit His people in clothed in human flesh that you would be satisfied with Christ. You would worship Him and honor Him and revere Him because He is your Savior. He humbled Himself. Think of it. Christ loves you. Of all the people in the world, he set his affection on a depraved, rotten sinner like you. And he says, I'll adopt you, wash you, clean you, and make you my very own. And on top of that, I'll live within you and make sure you get home. We look at a beautiful picture of Christ and we glory in who he is and what he has done for us. We consider it all privilege and joy to follow Him. And to the lost people in this room or in this world, I still preaching the same message. I urge you to look unto Christ. Look unto Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for such a beautiful picture. Thank you for Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Thank you for the reminder that by nature our minds should be different and the lives that we live should be lived out of an internal reality that you have worked in us for your glory and for our good so lord as we go this week may we not be like the troublemakers of galatia trying to earn your favor earn credit with you may we live out this week just because of who we are if we're fish May we just swim with freedom. For Christians, may we think this way because this is the way Christ thinks. Help us, O oh Lord, to live out the gospel because of the great love we have for you, because you first loved us. Pray these things tonight by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I pray you'll be encouraged by these things tonight. I pray you have a good week. Uh, Brother John will be preaching Wednesday night, hope you will be back for 2 Timothy on...